This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Hey, would you open your Bibles to the book of uh, Revelation chapter 2? If you're visiting and did not know we were studying the book of Revelation, you are allowed to leave now if it scares you. Uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's actually really good, right? Connor, it's a great book. Um, It's the only book that comes with the promise of a blessing for those who read it. Uh, By the way, we planned on uh, teaching this back in January, so this wasn't like, okay, the world went upside down and now we're going to teach it. This is, like, we're not bandwagon Revelation people. We were already on it, so. Um, But today I want to actually read to you from Revelation 1, verse 10. I want to show you what I believe is in this passage that gives us the image of what a Jesus church is for us and what it means for us here locally as well. But in Revelation 1, verse 10, he actually talks about, I was in the Lord's day, uh, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you have seen, and you send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. There are those seven churches. That's what we're about to read about today. But first, let's go to prayer, uh, as you often and always should before you go to God's word. Let's pray and have him speak to us today. Jesus, we give ourselves to you. We give your your word is a light. It's just as confusing of a time as this is. Your word is not confusing at all. Your word is unshakable. Your truth stands even today. Lord, so we receive that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. So these seven churches are actually seven literal churches, and many of which you can actually go and view today if you were to go on a little tour of that area. Some of you may have already done that. I saw something this week that actually jumped out in a way that had never jumped out before. And and that is that, well, first of all, when you see the number seven, if you've been around the Bible, you know this. You see the number seven, you should pay attention. Because the number seven speaks of perfection. It speaks of completion. You know that when God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't because he was tired. It's just because he was done. It's over. So these seven letters to these seven churches actually speak something here that we ought to pay attention to. The seven literal churches, they each got the messages. Each of those messages applied to the individual churches. Each of them applied to all of the churches. But I would like to suggest to you also that each of these seven churches, and I would even say in order, the message that each of these churches got, that when they're placed in order in the seven order, are actually the perfect picture of what a Jesus church ought to look like even now today. And and the reason I say that is each letter opens, so like Ephesus opens with a, 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 from the one in the golden lampstands. And that's a quote from chapter one, where he speaks of being the one among the golden lampstands. That is a picture of Jesus in Ephesus that is for Ephesus. Each one of them gets that. You string all seven of them together, it gives each one of those churches a, I've summed it up in one letter, but or one word, each one of them, when you string them together, that's the Jesus church. 
So whatever it is, like we're Baptist, you Pentecostal, you Catholic, whatever, whatever sign is on the door, when these seven things are present in your church, you're a Jesus church. And this is not about adding these things so that Jesus will be present in our church. No, no, this is about us being in the presence of Jesus. And because of that, these seven things will be present in our church. Does this make sense? We're not going to cover all seven today. I'm going to cover the first four. We'll cover the following three the the next Sunday because I want to spend a little bit of time that we have on it. But as we go through this, I think you're going to see that there's this beautiful picture that not only uh, are are these letters so important prophetically and, and to these churches individually, but man, it's a message for conduit church locally and for any church as each letter says, anyone who has ears to hear. Let him hear what the Lord is saying to the churches. So are you ready? The first one is the church of Ephesus. And the message of Ephesus was a message, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's a direct picture from chapter 1, verse 12, of Jesus walking among the golden lampstands. Do you see the connection here? So the expression of Jesus to this church that they needed to hear is, I am here walking among you in this church. And why does that matter? He goes on to encourage them. He says, I know your deeds, verse uh, 2, your hard work, your perseverance. You guys are kicking butt. You're taking names. You don't tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. You found them to be false. When it comes to doctrine, they're crushing it. And Jesus is super high five for that. Well done. However, there's this other thing I'm going to need you to work on. And that is this. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. The message to Ephesus is a message of, of love, right? The, the, the message of Ephesus is you can get everything right. I, and, and we've all been around people. I don't know, maybe you are one of those people where you know this book inside and out. You can make all the right points, get the doctrine 100% right, but you don't have love. And all you are is a theological porcupine. You make a lot of really great points and nobody can touch you. You know, this is actually the best response I've gotten to that joke. This is the third time that I have laid that down in in just faith that maybe it would get better as the day went on. And it turns out it did. Ephesus in their early days, they were literally, love was what they were known for. The book of Ephesians, Paul opens it up with, man, in, in love, he predestined you for adoption. Uh, chapter one, verse nine, he talks about lavished his grace on you, your love for each other. You're like, that's what they were known for so much so that he ends that letter uh, to Ephesus saying, uh, chapter six, verse 23, he talks about grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Like that love was real and alive. And somehow 35 years later, these guys were right about everything and had fallen from the love that they had inside of him. And Jesus, man, love is so important. 1 Corinthians 13, you can speak with the tongues of angels. You can 
dominate. But if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Jesus says, I'm going to remove myself from the lampstands if you guys don't get this figured out. Now that said, don't leave here today going, okay, well, I need to love God more. I need to love God more. Now, that, now I've just created a new list of things I've got to do to make God happy. Don't do that. Man, spend your time in the presence of the Lord. And as you begin to understand his love for you, go back to those things you did at first. Man, that love is just a natural outgrowth of it. What is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5? Love. What does fruit, how does fruit happen? Man, it just hangs in there in the vine. We have, uh, I would say, a medium attempt at growing tomatoes in our backyard. Um, for some reason, these craggly vines keep popping out tomatoes. But even craggly vines, when connected, keep making tomatoes. And I have been outside, and I have not seen a single time, not a single tomato plant freaking out trying to make tomatoes. If you're freaking out trying to make love, you're not, it's wrong. Just hang in with Jesus, John 15, right? And then love happens. Now the next letter, the next, so love, that's the first one. And of course that would be the first one, right? These are in order of importance, I would maybe even say. Of order, of, if we do these right, it's going to happen in this order. The next one is the letter to Smyrna, which is a letter about faithfulness. This was a church that was being persecuted, brutally persecuted, crushed. And it says in verse 8, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. A direct quote from chapter 1, verse 8, I'm the alpha and I'm the omega, I'm the beginning and I am the end. A reminder to this church who was brutally persecuted that Jesus was there before Domitian. He was there before Titus. He was there before Nero. He was there before Augustus. He was there before Artaxerxes. He was there before... Go all the way back for every empire. And by the way, let's fast forward. He's going to be there after Trump. He's going to be there after whoever, whatever coin toss election we're about to go through. He is going to be there after whoever wins that because he is the first and the last. He's not going anywhere. And if you are a... A church in persecution. What you need to know is that God is faithful. And our outgrowth of that is faithfulness back to him. Now when I say faithfulness, some of you have a visceral response like I do. Because faithful meant I need to be in church every time the doors are open. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night prayer, Thursday night men's meeting, Friday morning Wednesday. Like that's what faithfulness meant. If you're not here every day, the doors are open, you're, you're doing it all wrong. That is not, this is faithfulness to Jesus. And that kind of faithfulness happens to someone who is faithful to you. It's not a burden for me to be faithful to my wife. That's just what we do. She, faithful, that's what it is. And this Suffering that Smyrna went through, I don't know if our American church will go through on that level. I don't know. I know this, that the vast majority of people throughout history who have followed Jesus, our experience is the minority, right? It is the exception and not the rule. The vast majority of believers in the world today live in some sort of a form of persecution. And Jesus, man, he is saying, hey, look, I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. I am faithful to you. And that's such a promise. The, the, the third one is 
Pergamos, which Donna did a great job last week, so I won't spend a lot of time on this. But the message to Pergamos was purity. So you're going to have love. You're going to have faithfulness, right? You're going to have purity in your church, in, in, in your life. Jesus, of course, was without sin, the, 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 he, the perfect man. He says here, coming out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword, chapter 2, verse 12, a direct reference to chapter 1, verse 16, the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now, when I hear that, the immediate thought is Jesus is coming to slice and bloody me up because of my impurities. And I would ask you to, if that was your background of faith, to actually take a step back with me and say that Jesus took that punishment for you as a Christian. That judgment was already taken out on him. But why would he use this language of a two-edged sword when it refers to purity? And here is why. There is no such thing as a victimless sin. Whether you have lied, you have cheated, whether it's pornography, whether you are the brick kiln owner in Pakistan, there is a victim to your sin and you can't possibly repay it. No amount of money, no amount of apology, the toothpaste is out of the tube. Purity is not about a burden to keep these rules and regulations. It's about a protection for those that are around us, that that purity, and again, not about me keeping the rules and the regulations, me hanging in the vine and the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and faithfulness and peace and against such things there is no law. That, that's the purity that we're talking about here. And if you reject that faith, that grace that he's offered to you, Again, I go back to these folks that we've been helping to set free. If they reject, by the way, a brick kiln owner can receive the same grace that you and I, but if he rejects it and Jesus says, I'm coming with the word of my mouth for judgment, the fact of the matter is, is that for those of us that look at Revelation and we think of judgment as this is this harsh thing and how could God possibly do that, that is 100% a Western privileged position. If your family has been carried off and imprisoned and beaten and like the idea of how long, Lord, before you just, like you bring justice for me, that's something we don't have to think about much here, but the rest of the world reads this and they don't have any problem with it because they understand that the two-edged sword of him coming is coming to do battle against those who are harming those in this world, those who are enacting sex trafficking on young girls in this country, that what is happening in our world right now, Jeffrey Epstein and that whole scene, God is coming and that he is going to set everything right with the two-edged sword of his mouth. And my encouragement for you is to receive his grace so that you don't have to be on that end of it. Now, the fourth thing, Thyatira. The message to Thyatira was for truth. It says that his feet were like bronze, blazing fire, whose feet were like bronze, verse 18. And that's a reference back to chapter 1, verse 15. His feet were like bronze. And it actually talks about his eyes were like blazing fire. But in chapter 1, bronze in chapter 1, glowing in a furnace, would have immediately evoked a picture in their minds of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being trapped in a fiery furnace being judged. Now, follow me on this, if you will. The message to them is this. I'm the, I'm the guy with the golden bronze feet, right? Speaking of what was happening in that fiery furnace. 
But he says this to them, to this church of Thyatira. I've got this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet by teaching. She misleads my servants into sexual immorality, eating of food, sacrificed to idols. He talks about I've given her time to repent. This, by the way, was a real teacher in this point. We don't know who she was. We don't know. But we know that there was a real teacher teaching real things and leading people astray. And think with me, by the way. Ephesus, they were crushing it at doctrine. They were not doing so great at love, right? They were not doing so great at serving. Thyatira, they're kicking butt on loving. You're serving, you're persevering, you're doing great. But this other thing, you're doing bad on truth. Love and truth are not incongruent, right? These are not mutually exclusive ideas. And truth here was important. But they went for the love and the deeds and rejected the truth. And Jesus was saying, I'm going to need you to get that right. He says, verse 24, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to her teaching, have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. You see, when we speak truth in a modern era. The, the big thing this week has been cancel culture, right? All over Twitter. You say something, whether it's true or not, and then you get canceled, right? You're being persecuted, and that's happening to lots of people in lots of places, but it has become embedded in our culture. It is not new. He mentions Jezebel, if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 9, the book of 1 Kings tells about the story of this queen named Jezebel. Jezebel was brought to Israel. She was married to King Ahab as a political partnership to bring together these two, an alliance between these two nations. And she brings with her 800 and some odd prophets to the god Baal and immediately begins to entice and bring in false doctrine that leads to sexual immorality, those things that is, are talked about right here that they brought into Israel. And so God calls a guy named Elijah to speak out against her. And so for those of you that were in Israel with us, or if you've been to Israel, you've been to Mount Carmel, like that's where that happened. And God called down fire, torched the sacrifice, 450 prophets of Baal died that day. Literally, this miraculous sign from the heavens happened. And so what do you think would have happened? The entire country said, oh, wow, repent. This is amazing. God is real. He brought down this fire. We should believe in him. And that's not what happened at all. Because what the church at Thyatira learned is the church... What we're learning in America, it's what Elijah learned, and that is that Jezebel is not going to go quietly. I mean, he just burned down all their fun. He torched all their stuff, and they were mad about it. And so 1 Kings 19, he actually, Jezebel is coming after to kill him. And I, it's fascinating. She's saying, may the gods deal with me if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. And in verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. It talks about he goes to Beersheba, and ultimately, he goes to a mountain called Horeb. And Horeb is the place where Moses took off his feet, right? Because he was standing on, or took off his feet, took off his <laughs> shoes, standing on holy ground. It's also the mountain 
where the Ten Commandments were given. It was the mountain where God spoke. So he runs 40 days and 40 nights to get to a place where he can hear what God has to say. He is surrounded by people who want to kill him. He is surrounded by people who want to silence him. And so he runs there to hear God's voice. And he gets there. He hides in the night. And it says down here in verse uh, 11, 12, that, and suddenly there was a, a wind that was blowing. Again, when you speak truth in a place where they're not interested in truth, a lot of hot air is going to be blown about you, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's on the news. They are not going to take it easy. It says that there was an earthquake that happened. It shattered. It shook the foundations of truth. And then a fire came, burning all around him. And in each one of those things, it says, but God was not in any of those things. It says that a still, small voice came to him. And God was in the still, small voice. In our culture right now, I'm telling you, there's a lot of fire. There's a lot of hot air. There's a lot of stuff blowing around. There's a lot of shaking. But if you will take time to back away and get to the mountain of God and listen, he will speak to you. And by the way, what did he tell Elijah? What are you doing here? Go back to where you came from. Go back into the fire. Go back to the place where the persecution is happening. And if you're the church at Thyatira, he's saying, look, go back to that. Go back to the truth. Hold on to what you have. And even if it goes poorly there, I am the God who has bronze feet who will stand in the fire with you just like I stood with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just like I was with Daniel in the den of lions. I will be with you in Thyatira. I will be with you in the United States of America. We're standing up and saying things today that even five years ago were totally fine, but today is considered hate speech. And our choice as a church is do we continue to love and to feed and to clothe? Yes, absolutely. But do we stop speaking truth because it's going to get us hated? The answer is not on my watch. Because the truth is just as important. There's an idea that's floating around right now in our culture. It's actually happening inside of churches. It's called progressive theology. Maybe some of you have heard of it. Progressive theology is a theology that says the Bible is actually the best that they understood at the time, uh, but now we know better. We, have, we, we know better now. We're smarter now. And so part of progressive theology would say that Jesus died, absolutely, but he died to be a good example for you, to be a great example. Or they would say he died because he loved you. That, that sounds really good on paper, doesn't it? But if that's the case, if I want to show my wife that I love her, then I just might as well kill myself and then prove to her that I love her. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's, to die because of that is not, he didn't die because of that. The Bible tells us he died to pay as a propitiation for our sins. But in progressive theology, it would say that that's not why he died. And that's just one of a hundred things. And by the way, anybody that I've ever known so far that has gone down that road in progressive theology, they burn their lives down because when the truth here doesn't matter anymore, you can do all kinds of crazy things that sound good on paper, and suddenly your marriage is blown up, your life is upside down, and you were doing it thinking, well, I'll just, I, mean, I can just do whatever I want, because the truth matters. It just does. 
And that message in Thyatira is a message for us today, that it matters what is true. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, think on these things. He told them to go back, but he went to the Mount of Horeb, Elijah, to, to hear. I would encourage us today to go to the mountain, the mountain where he speaks. But for us, that's not the Mount of the Law. That's the Mount of Calvary. It's Golgotha. That's the mountain where Jesus speaks. The shoes, the bronze feet, they have holes in them because he was crucified on a mountain. The hands that hold the seven stars have holes in them because he was crucified on a mountain. The greatest thing we could do for ourselves, for our children, for our wives and our husbands and our world right now is to go away from Twitter and go to the mountain. To go away from the news and go to the mountain. Well, look, give yourself 20 minutes, I don't know, put a timer on it. I'm not saying we gotta be ignorant. But I'm saying if you're spending more time there than you're spending at the Mount of Calvary, the Mount of the Gospel, the Mount of the grace that he has lavished upon us, you're gonna be miserable, you're gonna be scared, and you're gonna be alone. And some of us, even in our own lives right now, you were like, I wish I could care about the whole COVID thing, but man, my whole life is already falling apart. Go to the mountain. Because on that mountain, what you're going to hear is words of Jesus. It's finished. It's finished. This great love that I have for you, this faithfulness that I have for you, this purity that I have for you, this pure love that I have for you, and this truth, you don't have to guess anymore. You don't have to go search and hope and guess whatever your purpose and your meaning is. I've got the purpose and the meaning for you, and it's awesome. You're going to love it. I designed you. I'm going to define you. It's awesome. That's the mountain that we want to go to. And so maybe this week, I mean, look, I did this yesterday. I get out on my bike, and I, I mean, you can find me pretty easy. I'm the, I'm the full-figured dude tootling around out by uh, Eagleville. And normally, I'm going to be listening to some random podcast like Freakonomics or, you know, whatever. I think yesterday was Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. Exciting new season. <laughs> and I just felt the Lord say, turn that off. Not, not, it's not a sin, just... Why don't you give yourself some presence time today? Why don't you spend your time there? If you grew up in the 80s, all that meant was we had to go burn all of our CDs. Remember that? Did anybody have to burn your CDs? And then thank God for pawn shops because you could go buy them back later for five bucks. But it was like... <laughs> but that wasn't... The point wasn't that we want to burn them to make some statement. It was like... Maybe this day I need more Jesus in my life and less of that. More purity and less of this and more love and less of that. And the longer I've spent in his presence, the longer I've spent walking with him, the more time I spend in that. I encourage you this week when you're making your choices of your media consumption or what you're reading. or You know what? I would encourage you this. When you're about ready to hit post on that thing, why don't you take a step back and just pray. God, what would you have me to say here today? Spend some time in his presence before you hit post. Go to the mountain, go to Calvary, go to Jesus. Spend time in him. So anyway, stand to your feet. I want to get you out of here. Uh, if anybody can ever call Conduit anything, I would hope in these next few years that they would say, what kind of a church is Conduit? 
Well, it's a Jesus church. Man, I hope that's what we can be known as. We may not have any smoke or whatever. We're building a new auditorium, by the way. I don't want to disappoint anybody, but there's not going to be moving lights. There's not going to be a fog machine. There's not going to be any of that stuff, but there's going to be the presence of God, and that's what I hope we can bring in with it. Used to tell our bands back in the day, hey, look, I'm going to tell you where all your money went. It's all in those racks of lights. and That's why you're broke after this tour. But you know, I think it was George Meyer used to say, you can be pitiful all week long, but not powerful on the weekend. You got to choose. The one thing that artists and musicians, and Kathleen, you know this especially because it's something you do, but and Rebecca, you too, I see you back there, all you artists out here. But let me, when you live powerfully all week long, all you do is lead. The one thing that we can do that they can't do from a world perspective is the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't compete with that. There's not amount of sound and lights in the world that can compete with what they're doing, but there's no amount of their sound and lights that can compete with what the Holy Spirit can do in one night in someone's life. I want that to be what Conduit is known for in our community. So on that note, in Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Please shut me up, Lord, so these people can get on their way. (laughs) Is that Gemma? (laughs) In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. (laughs) 